worship service to start. And it's just such a happening place. It's so beautiful, all the smiles on your faces. And um, it's just so wonderful. So thank you so much for having me here again and um, inviting me to be a part of, of this wonderful community. Um, I also want to thank uh, David as well for um, the children's story. I don't think I need to be here right now because you kind of covered, covered it all. That and, and the video at the front. Um, it's just such a beautiful message and um, something that I'm going to, to walk away thinking a lot more about um, from this morning as well. Um, but I will, I will add on <laughs> um, all the same because I, I spent some time putting this together, so it would seem a shame not to share it with you. Um, before we do that, um, I'd just like to um, invite you to bow your heads with me in some prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I just want to praise you and thank you for your wonderful Sabbath day. Thank you for the sunshine for bringing us all here together um, to be in your presence, that you have sent your spirit to be among us. And Lord, I just continue to invite your spirit to be with us in a, in a meaningful and powerful way that we can't deny um, you're here. Um, Lord, I ask that you calm my nerves and, and speak your light and your love through, this, through me this morning and that you would soften the hearts and the minds of those here, um, that they won't only hear what is said today, but they will um, take that on and um, live that out in their lives beyond um, the end of your Sabbath day. Um, God, we love you so much. Um, we thank you for the love you have for us. Amen. So what I would like to chat to you about today um, is the concept of positive and negative sins. Um, and I know what you're probably thinking, how could a sin possibly be a positive thing? Um, and it is a good question. Um, so we're going to kind of figure it out um, together this morning. I was catching up with a friend recently, um, and I knew that she'd been struggling with a few problems um, within her relationship um, with her husband. She shared with me that she often feels misunderstood, alone, dismissed, uh, especially when she attempts to communicate her emotions or express her feelings um, with her partner, both about life in general, the struggles of work, the day-to-day, -day, um, as well as more specific things uh, to do with the marriage itself. More and more, each time she tried to broach the subject of their relationship and seek healing uh, within that space, perhaps maybe we should see a counsellor or, you know, let's sit down and actually talk about this, he would arc up and disagree with the need and offer statements like, I'm not trying to upset you and it's not like I'm ignoring you completely. Unfortunately, these statements don't mean much. What he fails to realise is that a healthy relationship is not built and maintained on just not doing bad things that in my opinion are pretty obviously shouldn't be doing in a relationship anyways, but requires an intentionality and a desire to do the right things. We can see the same thing play out in our relationship with God. Positive sins are the sins that require action to commit. Things like lying and cheating, murdering, coveting, idolizing, lusting, and so on, they all require you to do something. They require action. These are positive sins. If you Google the word positive, which you don't have to because I've already done it for you, there are a few different definitions that pop up. And the first of this is consisting in or characterized by the presence rather than the absence of distinguishing features. So if a positive sin requires something to be present, what then is a negative sin? Simply, when something that shouldn't be done, sorry, when something that should be done isn't. I'm going to say that again. So... If a positive sin is characterized or requires something to be present, a negative sin is when something that should be done isn't. A positive sin is doing the bad things. A negative sin, sin is not doing the good things, which is bad. 
action and inaction. So often we find ourselves focused solely on the things we shouldn't be doing as an indicator of whether or not we're good with God um, or where we're at with God, rather than looking to all the good he calls us to shine through in this world and whether we're stepping boldly into his plan for our lives in this. When we consider the world around us, we see a lot of rules, laws, and regulations. For the sake of this particular message this morning, I'm going to use laws, rules, regulations interchangeably to mean essentially the same thing. But when you look across the various aspects of your life, from your work to your sport, your entertainment, um, to driving around in traffic, to where you line up at the shops, to what you wear to certain occasions, um, we see that there are laws and rules everywhere. And they most often highlight the things that we shouldn't do or tell us what's wrong. They create structure and order and place everyone on a common ground. Laws are a language of understanding and usually serve to create safety, peace, and unity among people. But laws don't always make complete sense and they sometimes don't suit us and can actually make life harder. I had a bit of spare time at work this week, um, so I used, used it responsibly and um, Googled some funny laws that exist around the world. So you might have heard some of these before, but I'll share them with you because they're a, a bit of a laugh. Um, so the first one is actually from WA. So in Western Australia, um, and I, I hope that none of you have committed this crime, um, but it's actually illegal to have more than 50 kilograms of potato in one place. So just, just watch your shopping. Um, I know that we've had a few uh, panic buys, um, or reasons for panic buying in the past year, but just watch the potato situation. There's nothing about toilet paper just yet, so we'll just keep an eye on that one. In Florida, it's illegal to pass wind in public place after 6 p.m. on a Thursday, uh, which is very specific and I think might make late night shopping a bit awkward for us here, but <laughs> thankfully that's Florida. In Arizona, it's illegal to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. So we'll just keep those nap times before 7 p.m., so somewhere between the 3 to 5 area, and you should be fine. In Samoa, it's illegal to forget your wife's birthday, which I think is lovely, but probably shouldn't require a law. In Florida, it's illegal for a married woman to go skydiving on a Sunday. Sorry, ladies, if that's your uh, passion. All the other days of the week, just not Sunday. California prohibits anyone from wearing cowboy boots unless they own at least two head of cattle. Um, and in New Zealand, you cannot fly with a rooster in a hot air balloon. For the most part, we understand why laws are in place. Maybe not these ones, um, but usually we understand why they're there. Um, sometimes we do wonder. Would not common sense cover a lot of these situations? It can be the case both in the world and in our walk with God that we create rules for ourselves that complicate and confuse situations and then fixate on them. As I said before, laws are a language, and God knows this language of his people, and he has used rules and laws to communicate his will and purpose for our lives. He meets us where we're at and in our need and makes himself accessible and understandable in our context. There becomes a problem, though, when we focus on rules above what they point to. We get bogged down in the do-nots and what we can't or shouldn't do, and it causes us to forget about the importance of what we can do and what we should do. Positive sins, and when we don't do them, negative sins. We forget that God's law is first. We forget that God's law is first and foremost a law of love, and not only that, a law of doing love. 
Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I work in allied health as a remedial massage therapist, um, which is an awesome job. I love it. I get to meet so many new different people and have some really interesting conversations. Um, it is actually quite a good mission field because you're essentially stuck in a room with someone for an hour um, and they can't really escape lest they be um, rather embarrassed and exposed. So um, they tend to stick around. Um, and and some, sometimes when you're you know, you've got an hour. Sometimes they kind of go to sleep and it's you know, a bit lonely and I just do my own thing. Um, sometimes those barriers that are usually there with people just break down and the walls disappear immediately. And I've actually had some really, really good com conversations with people about religion and faith and, and the love of God. Um, and I just feel so blessed to be a part of that. Um, but the reason I know that we get stuck in focusing on our positive sins or our do-nots and forget the importance of doing the right things is because so many times in those conversations, people have asked me, oh, so what denomination do you belong to, our oh, Seventh-day Adventist? Oh, what's, what's different about the Seventh-day Adventist church? What's, you know? And I find myself defining my faith by what I can't do. So we observe the Sabbath. It's a good start. Um, but that's usually followed by, oh, what does that mean? Well, uh, we don't do this, and we don't do that, and also not this. We don't drink alcohol or coffee, although most people do anyway. We joke about it openly, so it means it's kind of okay. We don't have sex before marriage. We don't swear. We don't watch Harry Potter. We don't eat bacon or seafood. We don't. But life, a life of do-nots and can'ts is not the life God planned for me. In verse 5 of 2 John, we read, I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you have heard from the beginning. The law of love was declared from the start of our story at creation, in perfection. It has always been. Just like common sense means you shouldn't really have to be thinking about whether a donkey's in your bathtub after 7 p.m., God's law of love covers so much and elicits a beautiful obedience in his children to follow his commands and to act in love first. When we do these things, we shouldn't have to think too hard about the do-nots because love repels it all anyway. Simply not doing bad things will not evoke a love response to God or the people around us. It is the other way around. For example, simply not hating someone does not equal loving them. Love first, and only by doing and enacting the law of love do we grow closer and deeper and stronger in our understanding of the character of God and our relationship with him. This is the mirror we reflect in our lives, as explained in James chapter 1, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and do not obey it, it is like glancing at yourself in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that's love, that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. When we focus more on the legalities of our faith and the restrictions we seemingly have, we can start to paint a false perception of God in our own lives that inevitably reflects to, into the lives of those around us. Because of our own obsession with the rules, people, including ourselves, view God as rigid and strict and hard to reach. 
just out of arm's length, inaccessible, um, unapproachable. He seems demanding, and if you fall short, well, good luck, better work on that. We make it seem like hard work, as if it's a challenge to be in a relationship with God and in his family. But in reality, all God wants is to love us and to be loved. That is his essence, to be earnestly sought after, so he may reveal his perfect character to us and shine light into this shadowy world. And he is far more flexible and accommodating than what we give him credit for. Uh, for example, after it, the Israelites left Egypt um, and they were, did the wilderness thing and then they were establishing themselves in the promised land, they were like, we need a king. Um, and God was like, actually, I don't think that's a good idea. And they're like, no, no, we need a king. And God was like, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, but hey, they wound up with a king because God knew that that was how he needed to reach them. He set aside his own law so that he could love his people in that way. Uh, in a similar way, when David and his mates were, were hungry and they ate the food of the temple, God was like, well, that's usually a no-no, but I love you more than my loss, and I want you to be well, I want you to be safe, I want you to be healthy, and so I will, I will let you do that. We, we don't give him that credit enough. If we perceive God as someone who is focused on whether or not we do the do-nots, it's easy for us, too, to view the people around us in a similar way. We judge based on rules followed and broken and cast judgments when all that was ever necessary in the first place was just to love. How, then, does this impact our part in the Great Commission? Are we sharing the truth of God with the people he loves? Satan urges us into this way of processing the world and our relationship with God. Of course he wants God to be seen as strict and vindictive. Of course he wants a life lived with God to seem boring, cumbersome, challenging, and a set of rules to be maintained so that people are too scared to approach or just find that they can't be bothered going through it all because it's not worth it. We ourselves become discouraged by this way of life and feel restricted, alienated, hedged in, and under the thumb. I have heard a good friend uh, recently say, this is an excellent quote, um, people spend so much time complaining about the stuff they can't do, they forget to do the stuff they can. This is the trap and the distraction from our mission that Satan seeks to achieve. This is why it is so important to recognize our tendency for, the hang for our hang-ups with the rights and the wrongs so we can break free of the illusion that Satan casts concerning the heart of the Father and allow ourselves and those around us to walk freely in the fullness of God's love for us so that he may pour out our blessing after blessing and love after love. When we focus on laws, we focus more on ourselves. We fall into the trap of self-glorification. Uh, well, I don't do that. Um, and think more about what we can achieve on our own, apart from God. We compare ourselves to other people and use this as a basis of measuring our character. However, good people aren't necessarily good with God. You don't have to be evil um, to not be right with him. Just because you don't do the obvious bad things doesn't mean your relationship with him is steady. It's not, it's not maybe it's, it is, maybe it's not, but that's not how we measure it. If you're not doing the essential good things, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if you do not have love. So what do we do instead? We look to Jesus, his life and ministry. I've probably sounded quite anti-law this whole sermon, and I want to assure you that's not the case. And I hope that if that was your assumption, you haven't just zoned out um, and decided that you've disagreed with me this whole time. Because um, if you did, um, tune back in, because uh, this is where I just want to <laughs> change your mind on that. 
I firmly believe in the importance of God's laws and why they exist and encourage everyone to honour them in the best way they can. What I'm trying to bring to clarity is how we perceive these laws and the importance we place over the place on them, sorry, over the law of love in our lives. Matthew 5.17 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. This is Jesus speaking. All the laws of the Old Testament, the Mosaic laws, the sacrificial laws, the ceremonial laws, they were all designed to point in one direction, to Jesus, and therefore to love. They in themselves did not equal love, but were a constant reminder of the promise of salvation and the greatest demonstration of God's love to his people, the life of the death of his son on the cross to take away our sins and wash us clean, and the resurrection that conquered death and its sting. Romans 8 tells us, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have, and in that body declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Law is not God, an uncapitalized G. Law is not God. Love is the law. And just as Jesus' life and death was a fulfillment of the law and the fullness of God's love for us, so it was a life of doing. He is our example of what to do, not what not to do. The Bible talks more about what he did, not what he didn't. Can you imagine how short the Gospels will be if it was Jesus was born, he didn't sin, he died, he lived, amen. But no. Instead, we learn of his life and the character of God through the gift of the Bible and the stories it contains and witness his love and yearning for a relationship with us, you and me. He loves us so much he would rather die than live without us. So my question to you at the end of the day when God asks us, what happened in your life? Are you going to just have a list of things that you didn't do? Or are you going to tell him you fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you comforted the mourning, you sheltered the homeless, and you healed the sick? You loved because he first loved us and just wants the same for his people. Um, Just bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your love that you so freely pour out over us. And I ask that you never let us take it for granted, um, that every day when we rise, we thank you for the gift of life and that we invite you to enter our hearts so that we can live that out, that we don't get stuck on just not doing the bad things whilst they're important, but we would instead look to your perfect law of love first and foremost in our life and that that would lead and guide us Um, in the fullness of your love to amazing and wonderful things, not only for us, but the people around us. And Lord, we know that you love them, so help us to love them. Strengthen us this day. God, we can't wait till you come again until we do. We just ask that you help us to seek you in everything. We love you. Amen.